Well, I don't know about you, but I am one who's kind of a fan of having life and having it abundantly. Do you want some more life? Do you want to hear a, a better story than we experience day in and day out or see on the news or feel when we have to pay bills at the end of the month or whatever? We all have obstacles that might seem minuscule to others because we know the obstacles of others, but we all have things that we need to overcome. And we want that better word, don't we? Life and life abundant. Today we're going to talk a little bit about authority. Whoa, hello. I don't know what I asked you to do. I didn't ask you to do anything. Siri has a mind of her own sometimes. So today I think we have to, to recognize that we live in a culture that speaks a different language. Our culture speaks of justice. It wants justice. It wants rights. It has a sense of injustice. Therefore, there is um, an entitlement to a different word, to a different uh, blessing, to a different um, economy, if you will because we are owed. And I think that sneaks into the church as well. It sneaks into our lives because we're barraged by it all day, every day. But what I want to talk to you about today is in our redeemed nature, in Christ, the nature that we have been reshaped into, authority is the center of who we are. It needs to be the center of who we are. You've heard us say in the past uh, that we have been talking about encouraging you to um, see that there is a life um, that calls, is called by three vows. And that's what a rule of life is. There's, there's a three vows and, and five patterns of living. The three vows were first obedience, then stability, and then conversion of life. But the problem, and I'll say the problem here, as the problem is everywhere in our human nature, not our redeemed nature, is that people haven't been obedient. We, like sheep, go astray, right? We follow too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. And so we go where we want to go. We see green grass and we go, yum, like sheep. And we go there, not knowing what the pitfalls might be. We as a people don't know daily stability because we don't have a pattern for our life. And you could say that in the Christian world, in uh, the body of Christ, we, we would encourage you as disciples of the Lord to have a daily routine. Get up and pray, even if it's for two minutes to start or five minutes. We as Anglicans would say, do morning prayer, do a devotional, do something that becomes a pattern that feeds and starts the engine of your day so that your day might be patterned after him and not wherever the wind blows, right? Discipleship wasn't just for the disciples. <laughs> but when we take discipleship seriously, when we get those patterns into our day, then we see a life that starts to get stable. 
my mother-in-law um, came to the funeral on Saturday with her best friend, and her best friend has been through hell. She lost her first husband. Her second husband took his life two years ago. And just as she was returning from being in Rhode Island with Sally, Kristen's stepmom, her brother passed. And I just, my heart broke for her because I thought, enough. The same way I felt for my, my uh, Kristen's stepmother, my stepmother-in-law, however you say that, uh, I just thought, enough. She lost her mother and her brother and now her husband within the span of 16 months. And you just say, enough already. But death is always around us. This isn't the end story. We are breaking down. I know some of you feel that a lot more than others. And I'm sorry for that. But we are breaking down. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, we are in this stage where we don't last. We won't last forever. But death is not the final word. And in order to live this life, we need to live a life that is first obedient to the Lord. Then we have something to proclaim in his glory that we walked in his way even through trial and we trust in his provision. Then walking in obedience, then we need to have pattern our days that look like him. So they don't look like we've been blown wherever the wind blows or we don't get, you know, we don't cap off and get angry when something comes against us. Because the truth is something will come against you. And lastly, we need to be those who are converted. I, as a pastor, and I as a person, I should say, it took me a long time to be converted. I prayed the sinner's prayer over and over and over again. I thought the prayer did it. It wasn't the prayer that did it. It was me that had to live a life that was obedient, that was stable, and that was constantly pursuing the Lord to change me, to make me new, new every morning. He's new every morning. We should be new every morning. There's things, you know, anybody here can say they ha they're happy and perfectly restored to the way that you want to be, and the Lord has nothing to work on you. We all have stuff, right? I mean, that's the beautiful mess that we're in. Friday night, I watched with the Fultons the Jesus Revolution. And if you haven't seen the movie, it's worth seeing. It's worth paying to see it. You can, you can order it, uh, stream online right now. And the beauty of it was, you know, here's this pile of conflict going on in my Anglophile head. I was like, but, but, but he hasn't been trained. He hasn't gone to seminary. When you look at, you know, Lonnie Frisbee, that the guy that was taken up by the Lord and just given words and power. And, uh, and, and I, I got to the part of the movie where he got full of himself, and I was like, see? <laughs> and the Lord quickly uh, said to me, yeah, well, you can be just as bad with all the training that you've gotten. Shut me down awfully fast. But while I was watching the movie, some things just sort of stepped out, and I, I don't mean to ruin the movie for you because it won't, because there, there are plenty of things to be seen in the movie. But there was a reporter who was there, and 
the reporter was get, you know, just not engaging in what was happening, what God was doing, but the reporter was watching and observing and writing these things down. And toward the end of the movie, he's, he's sitting with um, Greg Laurie, and Greg's going through his own tension at the time, and, and he's outside of the tent of meeting, and this news reporter comes up and says, why aren't you in there? Because I'm really struggling. I'm not sure exactly what he said to quote it. But the, the editor was asked by Greg, what are you doing here? Who are you writing for? And he wouldn't really answer him exactly who he was writing for. He said, I came here pretty angry that I had to take this story because I write stories about big things. I write about war. I write about politics. I write about economy. And I was sent to a bunch of Jesus freaks. He goes, but after I've been here, this is what I see. I see unity and hope and miracles, and I can't explain it. Time magazine. And it was a real article. He wrote it for, for, for the uh, Time magazine. I haven't read the article itself, but I, w- I will tell you this. That's what happens when we experience the authority and power of God. Things get changed and we can't explain it, but we can say without a doubt that the glory of God has shown up. And we, at that point in time, something has changed and shifted in us. We've done that repentance where we've turned around and we see with clear eyes and we see with a different perspective that we are willing to be obedient. We're willing to to do the things in our lives, even if we're as ADD as I am. I have a pattern to my life that I never had before. And it speaks to me every day. It fills me. I I miss it when I'm not there. I I tried to leave the Episcopal Church when we were going through all those crazy things. And one summer on sabbatical, I was up in Maine, and I spent the whole summer at a vineyard church. Man, it was great preaching. Man, it was great worship. It was horrible liturgy. It was terrible. The pattern every week was all willy-nilly and all over the place. And my Anglophilia was rising. Because I was, you know, a snobby Anglican just saying, oh, that's terrible. Communion can't be cookie time with Jesus. That's the way it felt. It didn't have reverence and those solid English Elizabethan words. (laughs) Again, like I said in the movie, I have this tension where I don't want my snobbery to keep me from getting where people need to be. I'm watching all these people getting baptized on the beach at Pirate's Cove in the movie, and I'm sitting there going, where was their discipleship? Did they do a newcomer's course? I don't know what to do. That's sort of playing in the back of my head. And the other half of of me is, oh, Lord, bring it on. Wouldn't it be great if every Sunday we had a tub up here and it was spilling out all over the floor and the altar guild didn't know what to do, but people were coming and being baptized and being changed and being transformed. They came to love Jesus. Don't we want that testimony in our midst? I remember the first time I did that, I was at St. Paul's in Darien. 
we were doing a Sunday evening service and I preached something like that and I, I said, you know, if you're hungry to experience this change, you want to be baptized and you've never been baptized, come and let us know. We'll prepare you for, for baptism. You know, me thinking, oh, we'll do a baptism class and we'll talk about discipleship. We'll, we'll give you the, you know, the catechism and we'll walk through what it means to be it an Anglican and yada yada and this guy that his nickname is ears because he's got them big ones and ears came forward Pat said I want to be baptized and I said great brother let's get together on Monday he goes no 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 right now I said well don't you want your parents here he was in his you know mid-20s early 20s and I said don't you want your family to be here he said, you are my family. My parents would never stand for this because they have no idea what I've just experienced. I love Jesus and I want him in my life. I want to be baptized now. Much to the chagrin of the altar guild, I picked up the, the, the uh, baptismal font and I rocked my way out to in front of the cross and propped it down and I said, anybody who's still here, it's the end of this service, Anybody who wants to come forward, Pat is going to be baptized right here, right now, because he loves Jesus. Wow. That encouraged the body so much. The reality is, when we talk about authority, we talk about things that aren't so comfortable, as was read this morning. The passage from Peter, we talk about being subject to anything. But I want to go backwards, and I want to start with just a so we don't lose the context of what's going on. In Acts, let me just say this for, for those who get confused when you hear things from the scripture and you see the numbers up top and you don't understand what the numbers mean and it jumps from one section to the next to the next. They're just telling you a story in context trying to put the full thought together because there are other things that get talked about. So it, it's not not intending to take it out of context i encourage you to go home read the whole section read all of chapter six and all of chapter seven so you understand it in context we don't necessarily always have time every sunday to to read those things fully in context but there was things going on they were increasing in number it was messy and the hellenists were rising against the hebrews and there was you know people were being neglected and they were saying what do we do? This is a new movement. Are we really Jews or are we followers of the way? Are we Christians? Do we follow Jesus? I mean, there was lots of confusion going on. And the apostles, the disciples said, wait a second. It's not right for us to give up discipling people, preaching the word. Because we've got to serve tables. So let's get wise and order ourselves. You know, Moses got frustrated when he was at a place where he's like, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm becoming judge, jury, and executioner of all of these little things. They're coming at me, and I can't focus on the main things. And he got some help. Well, here, the disciples were experiencing similar things. And they said, in this, we will pick from among us seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, and will appoint them to this duty. Delegated authority given. 
The apostles had authority from the Lord. The apostles then got together to bless, sanctify, set aside seven men. This is the beginning of the diaconate. This is the beginning of those who were called to a ministry of service. We can talk about that at another time, but, and we will, because we have a whole host of deacons in this church, and their role is a special role of being a servant. So they list the, those who have been chosen, and God increased their numbers, and many of them, uh, many of the priests, you have to have picture this, what would it be like if there was such a move of God and a revelation of Jesus Christ that the priests of all the synagogues were now converting to the way of Jesus. It would just be radical, and it would be really confusing for some and angering to others. And uh, some of them came and they said, now wait a second. <laughs> what is going on? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our fathers. I'm still one of you. And he gave revelation, but you are stiff-necked. And your hearts haven't been, or your ears haven't been, circumcised. Circumcision was the symbol of being a part of the covenant with God, a covenant people. It was saying that we are set aside, we're different from the rest of the world. And yet, what Jesus spoke of, and what the disciples now spoke of, it was you needed to be changed within. And an outward appearance of that was that your life was changed. And so he asked a tough question, and all of a sudden there's offense, right? We know what happens when there's offense. There's division. When there's division, there are wars. When there are wars, there's spiritual attack. When there's spiritual attack, the enemy loves to destroy lives and make us worldly sad. And the question gets asked, which of you prophet, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Ooh. Let's just point out the fact that we all have problems and we all hear the words of the prophetic and we say, ah, oh, that's not from God. Instead of having a posture of obedience to the Lord and a level of humility that says, if this is from God, I need to receive it. I need to process it. I need to understand it. Maybe I'll follow it. Forgive my unbelief, Lord. Well, they were angry. There are other words I could use right now, but they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at Stephen. And what did they do? They cried out for him in a loud voice and they stopped their ears and rushed him and they stoned him outside the gate. And who was there? Paul. Paul watched why, while, while Christians were being stoned because Paul believed that they were heretics. He believed that they deserved death. That was the law. Anyone who would speak out publicly against God, they believed that there was um, sacrilege and blasphemy being spoken. And Stephen said a few interesting things in the midst of the authority that he was under. First, Lord, receive my spirit. 
He can take the body, guys. But Lord, receive my spirit. And then secondly, he interceded for them. Can you imagine? I'm about to throw a rock at your head and bash your brains in. But before you do that, I'm going to say, Lord, forgive them. Do not hold this sin against them. You see that when we are under authority, God sets things in order and he displays his power. And there was more power to be displayed in the life of Stephen going to be with the Lord than there was for Stephen to fight back and for there to be a Christian uprising with all sorts of weapons and uh, Jews that were murdered in the streets because we are right and you are wrong. There was a humility and a, and a blessing of, of be, being able to say, Lord, we come under all the authority of this world and it, it will still speak a better word. Just like we heard this morning from David, the Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing that I lack. There's nothing that I want. Even though I go through a valley of the shadow of death, I know that it surrounds me right there, right in the middle of my enemies, you prepare a table, a feast for me. And I get to feast on your goodness. So when we hear this word from 1 Peter, sure it's confusing in our culture today. We're supposed to come under the authority of a, a president we may or may not agree with. We need to come under authority of a council that's been set up to oversee nations. We have to come under the authority of a governor or state representatives or senators that we don't like. Yuck. But in the Lord's economy, he says there's a grace that is dispensed. When those who are placed in authority, we come under that authority, that grace will speak a better word. I don't like that personally. <laughs> Truthfully, in my flesh, I'd say, but, but we need to rise up. We need to speak out. Nobody's telling you to be a doormat. What the Lord is saying doormat or not, if your voice gets heard or not, proclaim the truth. Pro, pro, proclaim the truth in Christ. Pro, proclaim what you believe is right, but do not condemn those who have authority over you as a testimony of grace. We have to place honor above righteousness, or shall I say, rightness. Because if we place honor above rightness, it allows uh, our righteousness to shine through. Let me say that again. We have to place honor above rightness so that in God's economy, his grace, our righteousness will shine through. People don't know uh, what it is to be in a place of uh, physical enslavery today because we've outlawed it, right? Right? And this passage today, as hard as it is, Wendy, uh, to, to speak, it's not giving permission to slavery, but it's recognizing a cultural context that in slavery, the slaves have got to be, the servants have got to be obedient and subject to their masters. Just like you would to a boss, or as children we were to be to our parents, that it may go well with you. Honor your mother and father. The scripture is pointing us at how to live righteously so that it might go well with you because there's a better testimony being spoken there. 
I remember hearing the story, some of you have heard different versions of this, but a U.S. Naval Institute uh, talked about um, obeying the laws on the water and um, two battleships assigned to each squadron, the seas, they, the, uh, these naval ships moved together quite regularly and the visibility one night was extremely patchy and the captain remained on the bridge keeping an eye on all the activities going on around him. But shortly after dark, he reported a light, uh, a light that is showing itself on the starboard bow. And he's, the captain calls out, he says, is it steady or moving astern? And the lookout replied, steady, captain, which meant that they were on a dangerous collision course with this other ship. The captain called out to the signalmen, signal that ship. We are on collision course. Advise you to change course 20 degrees. Back came the signal. Advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. The captain said, I am the captain, change course 20 degrees. I am the seaman second class, came the reply. You had better change course 20 degrees. By the time the captain was furious and he spat out, spat out send, I am a battleship, change course 20 degrees. And back came the flashing light, I am a lighthouse. and they changed course. <laughs> you see, we have a hard time with authority because we have different interpretations of the authority that we come under. And sometimes when we are given title or uh, implied authority as bishops and priests laid hands on me to be, so that I would become a priest, there's a certain level of authority that I've been given. But that authority has got to come with some characteristics that are uniquely Christian. And we've talked about some of them, but let me highlight them specifically. It comes with humility. We're asked to receive that authority and assert that authority with an open-mindedness and a love that transforms lives <coughs> around us. Speaking of love, it needs to come with that kind of love. Perfect love casts out all fear. One of the beauties of watching this movie, The Jesus Revolution, was there was such a sense of love. Everybody was welcome. We all were sinners of God's redeeming. We all needed uh, God's presence in our lives. We all needed to hear his word. I love that uh, every time Chuck Smith you know, raised up his Bible to begin a teaching, he'd say, this is the word of God, and we believe it. Let's open our Bibles now to, you know, that seems a little bit uh, evangelical for an Anglican church, but uh, the fact of the matter is we really need to, no, it doesn't. I saw those shaking heads back there, but we do, we do, we are fully commanded to hear and mark and read and live out the word of God in our lives. So we're to call, we're called to love each other with a kind of love that Christ loved us to lay ourselves down for one another. We're called to show honor. Man, this is no more illustrated than in the culture that we're in right now, and it's illustrated in the worst ways. We, we try to vilify people on all sides of issues. That is not honor. Honor is to say, 
we respect the authority, the position that this person has been given. And in that honoring of that place, there is grace for the things that they mess up in. And yes, they will have to hold account to the things that they do wrong. But we as a people need to stop our division and infighting. We as a church need to be unified in honoring those who have been given authority over us. But most of all, in the midst of it, and we have tons of you here, uh, what, a, what a joy it is to, to look on a congregation that's filled with servant-hearted people. My friend Jan Nell used to talk about that as a, a primary ca- candidate, or char- not candidate, characteristic of what a redeemed life looked like. Servant-heartedness. Somebody who is always looking to help others in their need. Whatever it is, fix a computer, fix a car, uh, run to the store, take care of, you know, whatever financial needs might be. It's, it's all there, and I see it happening in the background here at St. Luke's. I'm so blessed by it. But those characteristics need to be in our lives and clearly presented from a life that is following Christ. So lastly, Jesus in his this shepherd discourse, we, we could have talked about sheep today. But the whole issue of talking about sheep, Jesus being the good shepherd, Jesus bringing us to greener pastures, preparing a table in the midst of our enemies, is really an illustration for authority. Do we follow the shepherd's voice? Do we know the shepherd's voice? If you've ever watched sheep, I used to work on a sheep farm. And let me tell you, they listened and they slowly got used to my voice. I was not their master but they knew that I was a tender of the sheep. And they would follow after a while to do the things that you call them to do because they knew that you were there to care for them. But if you were in Israel, if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, we're going to go next year, so start saving your pennies because there's going to be a St. Luke's trip to the Holy Land next year. If you, if you stand on the top of the plateau of Masada and you look down into the valley, you get a really interesting view of what some of us ask. What are those things out in the field? What is down there? Are those like mini fortresses? What are those things? Because it's just it looks like rubbles, but it, it but it was just clear boxed lines. And the archaeologist that was with us said, "No, those are sheepfolds." And I thought, gosh, that's interesting. And then he went on to do a teaching and talk about sheepfolds. Several, several shepherds would bring their sheep all into one fold at night to keep them from wolves, keep them from attack, keep them from being stolen. So as you hear in the story, a shepherd would call their sheep as the gatekeeper would open the gate and only his sheep would follow. You think sheep are, are, well, we are sheeple, aren't we? Sheeple, like people, but sheepish. Um, If any master called, sometimes we just follow the crowd and we go out. But in this story, it was clear that the sheep know the master's voice. My prayer has been through this service and this morning as I'm preparing for this is that you would know the master's voice. 
that you would follow him, that you would lead people into the fold so that they might know his voice as well, so that they could follow him, so they could have the assurance of the grace that obedience brings, the stability that a life in him patterns in you, the ability to take on anything that the world can throw you. If we're stable in Christ, there is nothing that we can face, neither height nor depth nor powers or principalities, life or death. Nothing can come against us in a way that we could be separated from the love of Christ. If you know that in your knower, you have been redeemed. If you are not daily being converted, if you are not in a place where the Lord is assuring you of those things, you need to get that right with the Lord. Because he wants you to not be guessing whether that, or hoping that that's the truth, but knowing that that is the truth. He's got you. He knows you by name. He leads you out, and he'll lead you safely to find pasture. But anybody who is not his voice is coming to divide, coming to steal and destroy. There are so many things that are coming to deal, steal and destroy us in this current culture. But it's no different from any culture. Yeah, they didn't have multimedia. They didn't have uh, streaming. They didn't have... Uh, the internet to serve, they didn't to surf, they didn't have all the things that we have in front of us to distract us with electronics. They had plenty of debauchery going on in that time to be just as distracting by all the things that the flesh wants to turn to. But the Lord promises in his word, if we submit to God, we resist the devil, he will this morning, as you think about authority, whether you like the authority or not, we pray that you would recognize and offer the grace of following the authority, following um, his word so that you might find your life becoming stabilized and God continuing to transform all the different pieces of your life so you would look more and more like Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen.